Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. If it's your first time with us or if you're new to uh, our church, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor, and uh, I'm just glad that you're here this morning. We uh, are beginning a brand new series that will be in here over these next three weeks, beginning today, and uh, called Battleground. And we're going to be taking a look at several different things that we battle in our lives. And um, I'll tell you this, that this series was... Um, it was kind of one of those series that like, um, kind of came up on a napkin one day um, as I was by myself um, in Starbucks thinking about some of the things that I've been struggling with myself and some of the things that I had heard from some of you that you had been battling. And uh, so it was kind of born out of that. But the thing that just impressed me as I have begun to study this and as we as a team kind of came around this idea is that uh, this is a spiritual battle. And I think I would be remiss as your pastor if we dove into God's Word talking about a spiritual battle and didn't go to God in prayer first. So I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, thank you so much. You are worthy. And God, we thank you for what you've done. God, for what you did in creation by spinning this world into being, what you did for us by giving us life itself. And God, we're so thankful for the promise and the hope that we have in you. And God, thank you most of all for giving your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And God, as we who are gathered here today who call ourselves Christ followers, whether it's been a month or ten years, God, um, we're, we're engaged in a battle. And sometimes it can overwhelm us. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that over the course of these next few weeks that you would help us to come to the realization that we need to be prepared for the battle. Help us, Father, to know what to do specifically after today's message is over. There's going to be a variety of applications, and I pray that you would just pierce our hearts, inspect our lives, God, and I pray that you would help us to change what we need to change so that we can be more prepared when the fight comes, when the battle comes. Guide us in our study of your word this morning, and may your Holy Spirit guide us into truth and knowledge and understanding of what you want us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, before we get started, I, I want to give us some kind of uh, context or, or an idea of a, a premise. And uh, I think it's important that even before we dive in uh, to understand not just what we're going to be discussing and taking a look at today, but over the course of these next three weeks, we need to have some kind of premise, some kind of basis, some kind of foundation that uh, we uh, begin from, a kind of a starting point, if you will. And so I want to give you two things this morning that are kind of starting points, places where we can begin. The first one, and you'll understand this, is that life itself is a battle, isn't it? Life itself, just living human life, is a battle. I mean, for some of you coming here this morning, like the trip from the car to the front door was a battle, wasn't it? Life is just a battle. We, we, we battle for the existence of our lives sometimes. We battle for, in some areas of the world, they battle for food. 
Life is just, it's a conflict, it's a constant struggle, and so that's one of our premises this morning, that life itself is a battle, that we are engaged in a battle really for our lives. I mean, think about just, think about just relationships. Uh, we, we battle at home, don't we? Husbands and wives battle over money, <laughs> among other things, that we battle over money. Um, children, not that I have any like this, but they battle over toys, uh, which one is theirs, and, and there are battles that kind of ensue. Um, if you're a student in here, you know, you, you battle girls with your moms over what prom dress is appropriate, right, to buy. Um, and, and then your dads battle with you on whether or not you're even going to prom in the first place. And, and so there are battles even in our homes, Sometimes you, you, you might be engaged in a battle with one of your teachers over, over a grade that you thought was unfair. Life is just a battle, and it kind of comes out in our relationships. Think about work. I mean, some of you are battling just to bring a dollar into the home. Some of you are battling every day is a fight. It's a struggle. And you might be battling there in your workplace, in your work environment, with another employee who thinks something should be done a different way than you. You might be battling over your boss in terms of how much commission you feel like you're owed. There are battles all over the place. Even on earth, look at the media. I, I kind of came to the realization that um, over the last couple years, there's been a massive battle just in Mexico, just to the south of our border between drug lords. Do you realize that in 2011, there were 20,000 fatalities in Mexico because of the drug war lord war. Isn't that incredible? 20,000 fatalities. There's a, a civil war that's taking place right now in Syria, and there's a battle that take pla takes place. Over the next 90 days or so, um, we will watch a battle take place on TV between two candidates, won't we? We'll watch a battle take place in November 6th, can't come soon enough. We'll watch this endlessly on TV, and we'll watch a battle take place between two candidates who are warring over whether or not they should be the president of the United States. Life is just a battle. It just is. And we have to come to terms with that. But you know, it's interesting because we approach those types of battles. You know, the battle in our homes, or the battle with friends, or the battle with teachers. We approach them, and we are prepared for that battle. I mean, we've got our opinions down. We've got our thought processes down. We know exactly where we stand on the issues. We think that we are the ones that understand truth. Maybe truth as we know it, but we are uh, proponents of truth the way that we see it. And we come to those battles completely prepared to win. And that leads me to my second premise for these next few weeks is that there is also another battle that we don't see with our eyes, and we may not hear with our ears, but it goes on, and it's just as real, and that is, is that there is a spiritual battle that takes place, and if you're a Christ follower in here today, you are engaged in that battle, whether you like it or not, whether you think you are or not, you are engaged in a spiritual battle. This is just the facts. We battle for our lives, but we battle for our spiritual lives. And here's the struggle that most Christians have, that most followers of Christ have. 
We are ready to go to battle when it has to do with our family, our opinions, our material possessions, our friendships. We're prepared for that battle, but when it comes to the spiritual battle, when it comes to our our, uh, battle versus truth and fiction, when it comes to the battle of what's real and what's fantasy, and when it comes to the battle of good and evil, we are absolutely ill-equipped for that battle. We just aren't. We're not prepared for that fight. We're not prepared for that battle. And so my purpose in this message series is that we become prepared for the spiritual battle that takes place in our lives. That we are ready to go when it comes. And it comes every single day. And so I want you to realize something, and and these are kind of uh, more uh, uh, facts that we have to establish as we dive into this, that if you are a Christ follower in here today, that there is a spiritual battle, and the battle with Satan, number one, is extremely real. It's very real. We'll get into that a little bit later in this series, but it is very real. You have to understand that. Secondly, you have to understand that the battle with Satan is nothing new. When you're engaged in a spiritual battle with Satan, you can't say to yourself, man, I'm sure no one has ever experienced this. The battle with Satan has been in existence since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of this earth that was created, we've been in a battle with the enemy with Satan or the devil. And so it's not new. And the third thing that I want you to know about this battle with the devil or with Satan is the fact that Jesus himself, the one who is our Savior, who came to this earth to give us eternal life, he experienced this battle just like we do. He experienced it just like we do. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to an example of this battle, a time when Jesus experienced this battle with Satan himself. It's Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, and I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday if you have them. If you don't have them, back at our, um, our uh, guest service desk, uh, there are some Bibles that we can give you. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you have a Bible and bring it with you uh, on Sunday mornings. Now, Matthew 4, I want to give you a little bit of background because this is a very interesting passage. It's a passage that um, uh, is very interesting because we actually get to see Jesus engage with this battle between he and Satan. But it comes on the heels of Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus' baptism was uh, unlike anything else. And Matthew 3 describes how Jesus was baptized. And there were two very interesting things about Jesus' baptism, maybe three. Number one, John, uh, who baptized Jesus, whose name was John the... Okay, great. I just want to make sure you're listening and that you're awake. Okay, John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus, and he was reluctant to do so because he didn't think he had the authority to do that. But the Bible explains in Matthew 3 that John the... Okay, great. You're with me now. Um, That he baptized Jesus and that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, the Bible says, like a dove. And then the Bible goes on to explain that lightning actually came down and was, as the Bible says, on Jesus. Now, We've had a lot of beach baptisms out here, and in the distance there might have been a thunderstorm, and we've had to cancel several because, you know, of thunder and lightning in the area. I've never seen any one of you get dunked out there on the beach where lightning came down and struck you, okay? I promise you, if that gives you fear, don't worry, okay? That doesn't happen, and we have insurance even if it did, okay? So anyway, so, so that's the baptism of Jesus. 
But this was a different baptism because this was the Son of God, right? And this was God's one and only Son. And when he was baptized, he was baptized so that he could begin his earthly ministry. And that's what we see in the subsequent chapters there in Matthew. And so I want us to turn our attention towards Matthew 4, that this was essentially Jesus's uh, orientation or essentially his ordination into the ministry. And, And so Jesus had this ordination that was a baptism. And then we read some very interesting things in Matthew 4. Now, it's interesting here because um, when I was ordained, um, I didn't have anything like what followed Jesus' ordination into the ministry. His baptism, his ordination, if you will, was a bit different. But the Spirit of God led him to a very difficult circumstance just following his baptism. And I believe, and I want you to capture this, that it was his preparation for what he would deal with while here on earth. And so many times in the context of what we're talking about, if you are a mature, strong, vibrant Christian, many times you're going to go through some of the things that Jesus went through because God is preparing you for a great work. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that this battle that we're engaged with with Satan is something that will prepare us for ministry. It'll prepare us for what is to come. Jesus couldn't do anything without God's Spirit on him and the covering of God in his life, and it dovetails kind of into what we're going to be talking about today. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, taking a look at this verse by verse as we walk through over the course of these next few weeks. Let's take a look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Matthew writes, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by whom? The Spirit. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert where he was tempted. Now, just let's stop right there for a moment. Some of you may be thinking, man, I'm a dynamic Christian. my, My walk with God, my journey with God, my time with God on a regular basis is really strong, and it's vital for my life, and I feel like I'm a mature Christian. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have times when you're tempted by Satan and evil. Jesus even was. The Son of God even was. In fact, the Spirit, it says, led him into the desert. And so uh, we live in an evil world, and so, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but uh, suffice it to say that you will be tempted to sin even if you are a mature, older Christian. You're going to be tempted just like Jesus was. And in fact, some of you who have a very um, strong relationship with Christ, um, I've heard it said that you have a target on your back. And so it's maybe even more essential for you to understand these concepts that we'll be talking about over these next few weeks so that you won't give in to Satan. Now, Jesus was in the desert, the Bible says, and he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Take a look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the things that's difficult for us in our, in our journey with God is to really understand the concept of Jesus' humanity. But Jesus was human. He was all God, but he was also all human. And so he, he had things that he uh, had to do just like we do. If he was hungry, he needed food. If he was thirsty and his lips were parched, he needed water. And so Jesus, after being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, 
fasting and connecting with God the Father in solitude by himself, he was hungry. He wanted some food because he was all God, but he was also all human. And so we see here that Satan comes upon him at an interesting time. It was the time that Jesus had something that he needed that Satan targeted him. It was at the point where Satan thought, now's my chance. He's weak. He needs something. I'm going to go after him. And I think that's an important principle for us to understand is that our spiritual struggle, yes, it's going to happen all the time, but we are going to be more susceptible to give in to Satan when things are weak, when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're sick and tired. We're going to have times, those are the times that Satan is going to target us. It's going to be when that relationship that you are most, uh, that is most important to you begins to fall apart when Satan's going to go right after you. And he's going to begin to tell you the lie that you can find love somewhere else. It's in the moment when you're weak and when you're tired that he's going to tempt you to do something that will lift you up that's not God's best for your life. Satan is going to go after you just like he did with Jesus when you are most vulnerable. Take a look at verse 3. The tempter came to him, Jesus, and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you see what Satan did there? Do you get what he did? We just talked about the fact that Jesus' greatest need right now was that he was hungry, right? Jesus was hungry. He'd been out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And Satan uses this moment in time to change Jesus' mind on what the source of his life was. He had just spent 40 days fasting, connecting with God the Father. And Satan was trying to twist the truth, to twist Jesus' mind into thinking that he needed something else other than God. And so Satan tempts Jesus with turning a stone into that which Satan thought that Jesus would think would sustain him. But Jesus, Jesus was stronger than Satan. Satan's intent was to give Jesus a false representation of what he needed for life itself. And that's what he does with us. Take a look at verse 4. Jesus answered him, and he said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there are so many important aspects to Jesus' three answers. You see, Satan comes at Jesus three different times in three different ways, and Jesus answers those temptations in three different ways. And each one of them are just filled with great nuggets on, on how we can fight this battle. Specifically, what Jesus does here is he relies on the Word of God to tell Satan that the Word of God ought to be our source of strength. The gospel writer John in the first part of John says that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was God. And it's interesting because in this moment of temptation, Jesus uses that same exact concept that it's the Word of God that can help us fight Satan. And it's the Word of God that can help us discern truth from Fiction. And that's my first point this morning and kind of questions that I want us to ask this morning. What questions should I answer to help me determine if I'm living by truth or by fiction? And the first one is, is am I God-reliant 
or am I self-reliant? Am I God-reliant or am I self-reliant? Do I rely on myself for the source of truth in my life or do I rely on God? Jesus relied on God's word and used God's word as the ammunition in the battle with Satan. And in doing so, he gives us the example of how we should live, that we should know God's word and that we should use God's word and that we should know Jesus and understand who he is. So what does this all mean? Well, it means this. This is in your notes. When you immerse yourself in the word, that's Jesus. John 1 says that. It is more likely that you are going to be in an atmosphere to the word for the word to reveal Jesus in your life. You see, it's interesting because the more time, I want you to capture this, the more time that we spend in God's word, the more time that we spend in finding out the truth from his word, the more we get to know Jesus who was the word itself. And the more that we get to know Jesus, the more he points us back to the truth of God's word. Here's the bottom line principle for us to understand the difference between truth, absolute truth, which is what Jesus was, and fiction, those lies that Satan tells us, or that the world tells us, we've got to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We've got to immerse ourselves in understanding more who Jesus is. You can't find absolute truth anywhere but the Word of God. You can't. You might be able to find scientific truth in a textbook. You might be able to find mathematical truth in another textbook. You might be able to find historical truth from a history book, but you cannot, I want you to capture this, you cannot have absolute truth. You can't find it anywhere else than from the Word of God. Are you God-reliant or are you self-reliant? We rely on so many different things in life, don't we? What, what do we do when we want to know the answer to a question? We get out our laptops and our computers or our Palm Pilots, and we search on Google, don't we? I mean, if we want to know the answer to a, to a question, any given question, we search Google. And what comes up? Wikipedia answers, right? I mean, we rely on Wikipedia for our source of truth, don't we? There, there's a funny little clip from The Office, and uh, Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, says this about Wikipedia. He says, Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject so you know you're getting the best possible information. <laughs> we do it, don't we? We're just like Michael Scott. We buy in to that lie that we can search for truth anywhere. We can find truth anywhere. And the reality is, the reality is, the only source of absolute truth is God's Word. And if we believe or buy into the fact that anything else is the source of absolute truth, we have lost our footing in the battle between what is truth and what is fiction. Dan, Dan Brown wrote a, a, a novel in 2003, and uh, I had a guy come up to me at our church. I, I was just starting in ministry, and part of my job was to know what books were out there and to, to uh, as a life group pastor, small group pastor, to study all this stuff. And he came up to me, and he was a, a, a wiser, uh, older gentleman in our church, and he said, Todd, I I'm concerned this book is going to change people's minds. 
And Dan Brown wrote a book that was fictitious and it caused concern in the Christian community because many people read the book and watched the movie and because of the words that Dan Brown wrote, he twisted the truth just a little bit. He twisted it just, just a hair to make us think, well, maybe the word of God is not true. And I, I kind of, my, my friend who told me this, uh, Mr. Ted, he, he told me about this, and I kind of thought, he's overreacting. That book very quickly jumped to the num- uh, inside the number 10 of all bestsellers in fiction of all times. There were many people who were swayed in their walks with God because they bought into the lie something that was supposed to be false, a story, and they believed it as truth. And so what happens is the lines between truth and fiction can get extremely blurry when we don't have the foundation of our truth, God's Word, when we don't rely on Him for the foundation of our truth. We buy into these lies all the time. We buy into the lie that church is not necessary that being with other Christians is just something that's, you know, it's nice to have, but it's not essential. We buy into the lie that all I need to do to be a good Christian is to be good and to be nice. We buy into the lie that God doesn't care about my small stuff. We buy into the lie that God wants me to be happy. Happiness in the Bible is talking about a, a fleeting emotion. God, is a, God wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be joyful based on your relationship with him. You see, there are so many lies out there in the world, and it's just a twist of the truth. And the battleground between truth and fiction is right up here. It's in our minds. It's in our minds. And so there's a battleground there that we have to stand strong in, and we have to stand strong in the fact that the absolute truth, our source of everything that is true, is God's word. And if we give an inch, Christian, listen to me, if we give an inch on that fact, then we've lost our footing in this battle. There's a second question that I want you to ask, but let's read these verses. Verse 5, the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. A temple. I think it's interesting that Satan took Jesus to that place which is most holy to try to get him to do something that is most unholy. And so Satan took him to the top of the temple, and he, and he told him this in verse 6, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and all their splendor. All of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Once again, we see this battle taking place, a little bit different situations there in the second and third temptation. But essentially what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to think that he is more powerful than God himself. And so Satan is trying to tempt Jesus with power. Now, I realize that in 2012 that most of you probably aren't tempted with this type of power, but I want you to capture this. There's no difference between the power that Satan was tempting Jesus with and control that you think that you have in your life. You see, we think that we can have absolute control over our lives, and so we try to manipulate and we try to control everything about our lives and the lives of those around us, don't we? 
And when we do that, essentially what we're doing is we're giving in to the temptation that we have the power to control. Take a look at the second question. To determine if you're living life by truth or fiction, am I looking for ways to control my life and or the lives of those around me? We can bite hard on the lie that Satan feeds us when we are insecure. How many of you have been insecure at some moment in your life? I'm raising my hand. Please join me, okay? Because I know that some of you have been insecure at some moment in your life. Doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 60. You have moments where you feel insecure about something or some things that are going on around you. Our footing is diminished when we think that we can skim money from somewhere else because the bank account is getting tight. We get insecure about our finances. And Satan tempts us with control to do something that we know we shouldn't do. We are tempted when our friends say something wrong about us during lunch at school. And we think we can control that situation and we can go and slander them as well. We get insecure and then we want to be powerful and we want to control We think that our lives are spinning out of control, so we take a pill or a drink or many drinks to try to control what we feel like is out of control. And when we do that, when we do that, we give in to those temptations from Satan. Our last point this morning, when our first response to insecurity in our lives is to lean towards God, then we have a better opportunity to live according to absolute truth. When our first response to insecurity in our lives is to lean towards God, then we have a better opportunity to live according to absolute truth. Christ follower, you're going to face it tomorrow. You're going to face it this afternoon. You're going to face it all next week. There are going to be times when your life feels like it's out of control. Your moms, you're going to face it in the homes. Dads, you're going to face it at work. Students, you're going to face it tomorrow morning on the first day of school. Life is going to feel out of control. And when we make the choice to lean towards God, who's the one who's completely in control, then we have a stronger footing in the battle with truth versus fiction. Then we have a strong footing to make the right choice and to do the right thing. I want you to capture this. Satan, please don't miss this. Satan is so deceptive. He's so deceptive. He's so tricky. And he'll bring someone into your life or something into your life that'll put a thought in your head that will lead you down a path where you're going to be tempted. Christ follower, we've got to stand strong. We're in a fight. We're in a battle just like the battle of life, and we can't be deceived. We can't be deceived. Years ago, Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, explained the battle for our minds this way. I love this. He says, as Christians, we both have a spiritual nature and a carnal nature, and each has its own channel. Our spiritual nature listens to the Holy Spirit channel when our carnal nature listens to the enemy channel. Many times a day, we have to decide whom we will listen to. We have to decide daily, Bill Bright says, who we're going to listen to, the Holy Spirit and truth 
or the enemies and lies. And then he ends by saying this, we make the choice. It's our choice who we listen to. It's our choice whether or not we are deceived. But if we give in, if we start looking to other things, other resources, other sources of absolute truth, then we lose our footing and we're deceived and we're shocked. We're shocked when we begin to lose the spiritual battle between truth versus fiction. Some of you know I, I love presidential history and facts, and there's, a, there's an urban legend that was published in the AP in 1932, and it was retold recently and some years ago in Today in the World. The urban legend goes like this. It's reported that in the late 1860s, President Ulysses S. Grant gave a cigar to Horace Norton, philanthropist and founder of Norton College. Because of his respect for the president, Norton chose to keep the cigar rather than to smoke it. Well, upon Norton's death, the cigar passed to his son, and later it was bequeathed to his grandson. It was Norton's grandson who, who, who in 1932 chose to light the cigar ceremoniously during an oration at Norton College's 70th anniversary celebration. Waxing eloquently, Norton lit the famous cigar and proceeded to extol the many virtues of President Ulysses S. Grant until, bang, the cigar exploded. That's right, over 60 years earlier, Grant had passed a loaded cigar along to a good friend, and at long last, it had made a fool of his friend's grandson. I love that story. Isn't that awesome? Satan's going to surprise you. He's going to deceive you. You're going to be shocked when one day you've bitten so deeply into something that is false, something that is fiction, and it's just taken you, taken you, and taken you. Church, Christ follower, we've got to be solidly rooted in God's word. We've got to lean towards him when insecurity comes. For some of you, you know what that means? It means that your recommitment to Christ today is to be rooted in his word. For some of you, it may mean that you are praying and asking God every day for God's Holy Spirit to guide your mind. This is a battle for the mind, church. This is a battle for our thoughts. And you know, it's interesting. We're hitting truth versus fiction. We're hitting reality versus fantasy. And we're hitting good versus evil. And it all starts right up here. It's the gateway to either things that are pleasing to God, truth, or things that are not pleasing to God, fiction. And so today, my question for you is, is do you need to surrender your mind to Christ? Is it time for you to give up the way that you've thought before? All the people that you've trusted, all the things that you've trusted that guide you away from the truth of God's word? Is it time for you to today to say, yes, God, I've surrendered my, my, my baggage, I've surrendered my guilt, I've surrendered my worry, but I've never surrendered my mind. Maybe for some of you, today is your day to surrender your mind. Father God, guide us and lead us into all truth. Thank you, God, that your son was truth itself. Your son was the absolute truth, is the absolute truth. And we can be confident in our walk with him that just like Jesus when he battled Satan in, in the battle of truth versus fiction, God, that he used your word. God, help us to understand and to know your word. And for some of us today, 
It's a surrender of the mind. And Father, I pray for those who are in here today and they've bought into a lie. Maybe they've bought into the lie that they're not good enough. Maybe they've bought into the lie that they're too good. Maybe they've bought into the, to the lie that they'll never have the kind of love that they think that they can have. Maybe there are some students in here today or some adults in here today that have bought into the lie that they will never measure up. That God, you don't love them enough. God, help them to understand that the truth of your word is that you sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. Help us to understand the truth of your word that you loved us so much that you sent your only son. And God, that we as Christ followers, those who are in here today and we've said yes to you, that we have a responsibility, a responsibility to surrender our minds to you. So Father, I pray for those who need to get back to your word. I pray for those who need to wake up every single day and to begin to tap into your Holy Spirit to help guide them. I pray for those who are in here today who are insecure. I pray that they would lean to you for control in their life and that they wouldn't lean to alcohol, that they wouldn't lean to drugs, that they wouldn't lean to their friends who may be people who are twisting the truth or just giving them false information. God, help us to be people who lean to you. May we surrender even our minds to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.